0: Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads. A space where curiosity and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants. You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space.
1: mindspace. Uh, My name is Jeff Boucher and I am here with Maya St. Clair and Garrett Nickel and we're very excited this week we are bringing a little bit of the Jedi universe into our mindspace. Uh, We're joined by Ashley Eckstein who is well known from her Clone Wars work swinging a lightsaber. Uh, It's very nice to have her with us today. I'm kind of excited for people to uh, find out how cool she is. She's become a great entrepreneur with her universe, uh, uh, which specializes in all kinds of gear and wardrobe for uh, licensed Comic Con culture, uh, so if you like Star Wars and and uh, all the other stuff, that you probably find something really good at her site. What is that URL? By the way, do
2: you know?
3: Mine? Yeah, we'll put it in the episode description, but it's just the words "her universe," you know, typed into the URL. H e r dot ecom When you pull it up on Google, it might say fashion for fangirls, but do not be fooled because her universe offers fan-based clothing for all sexes and genders. So you can find all sorts of men's apparel, women's apparel, kids unisex and accessories from multiple fandoms they've got star wars of course and ahsoka merchandise but they've also got like last airbender doctor who anything you can really name it's it's a great great site and i'm sure that you'll find lots of goodies or gifts for people you love so
1: and all sizes from jawa to rancor they have everything anything you need Um, all right
3: It's going to be fun to talk to her, I think. Ashley mentions how she got started um, with voice acting Ahsoka and uh, the kind of serendipitous and very unlikely story of how she got the part involving all sorts of shenanigans with accent experimentation, which we found interesting. And (laughs) she also talks about her unique take on uh, interacting with the fandom, incorporating fan criticism, and how she juggles the kind of hot topics of feminism versus allegedly versus fan culture in star wars and how she eschews any kind of war or confrontation that seems to erupt online her her take is is very understanding of everybody and it's really refreshing in a fandom where discourse is kind of dominated by oh it's us versus them no matter and, and divides people into camps fighting over characters so yeah
1: and we, and we get into the elusive charm of bjork uh, yes. which is unexpected <laughs> unexpected
3: yeah like every mindspace interview this one spans Galactic. the kessel run the kessel run of of subjects so we really think you'll enjoy it thank you so much and here's ashley Eckstein
1: So Ashley, welcome, welcome to MindSpace. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us today. Anybody from the Jedi universe is always welcome here.
4: <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. It's it's truly my pleasure.
1: Yeah, you know, and um, you have such an interesting spot in the in the Star Wars pantheon and in, in the Star Wars universes as they are. Um, tell me a little bit about when you first, um, you know, found out that you were going to get this part and that you were going to have this position, uh, that must have been a very exciting time for you, obviously.
4: You know, it was definitely an exciting time because I'm a lifelong Star Wars fan. Hmm. So when I first got the audition for Star Wars, The Clone Wars, which I didn't even know it was for Star Wars, The Clone Wars, oh, wow. <laughs> I knew it was for a new Star Wars animated show. That's, yes. that's all I knew. Um, so when I found that out, I, it was a dream come true because as a lifelong Star Wars fan, I just, first of all, I was shocked that they were still making new Star Wars because yeah. I thought that Star Wars was done, you know, yeah. after the prequels, I thought it was done. So, um, I was thrilled from that standpoint. I was like, yes, there's going to be more Star Wars. Um, but then, you know, selfishly, uh, as a fan, I just wanted it so bad and um, my dreams, I thought, were dashed pretty quickly uh, because they wanted me to audition for Padme Amidala. And I sounded absolutely nothing like Padme Amidala.
2: Right.
4: <laughs> so I thought I had no shot at um, at the role. But there was this other role that was super top secret. Uh, and I didn't even know her name at the time. It was for Ahsoka Tano. Um, but, and I didn't even know that it was to be Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. Uh, that, Cause again, that was super top secret. I just, I, um, once I went into the audition and found out that sure enough I sounded nothing like Padme Amidala. Um, they said, but you know what? You might be right for this new character. And all I knew was that it was a 14 year old girl. And that's all they told me. And I, I read some generic Star Wars lines And um, to be honest, I thought my audition was pretty terrible. I did not think I was going to get the part. And when I did get the part, um, that's when I found out who it was, that it was going to be for the role of Ahsoka Tano and that it was Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. And honestly, I felt like I had won the lottery. Uh, I didn't believe it, but I I felt like I'd won the lottery and I was going to do whatever it took to uh, live up to the honor that was bestowed upon me.
1: Yeah, and uh, would, would uh, Dave Filoni have been there for that audition that, uh, earlier? Yeah.
4: Oh, yes, yes, Dave Filoni was there at the audition and, and he was actually the one that I interacted with. Yeah. You know, there was many people in the room, but um, you know, the one giving the direction was actually Dave Filoni.
1: Okay, and where was that, was that in LA or is that?
4: It was in LA and yeah. you know, as LA goes, um, You know, I, as an actress, you usually find out about your auditions super last minute. And so I found out about the audition the night before. And it just so happened. I mean, you know, when it rains, it pours. Sometimes you'll go a month without an audition. And then sometimes you'll have five auditions in a day. And as luck had it, I had five auditions in a day. And um, they were all across L.A., like I mean, I think one was in Santa Monica, you know, one was in Century City, you oh, yeah, know. Mr. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. And and this audition was the last one of the day. Oh. And it was in the valley. It was um it was close to Toluca Lake, I remember. And um I hadn't eaten all day because of LA traffic and I was driving from one audition to the other. So I had a massive headache and I get there and they were running an hour late. And so I walked in and I had been auditioning for voiceover roles for four years. And it was, I was rejected for four years. (laughs) You know, I would gotten the occasional small job here and there. Um, but I, I hadn't really booked anything anything big in, in four years. And so I walked in to this audition. They were running an hour late. I was exhausted. I had a headache. I hadn't eaten. It was the end of a long day. I could not do the voice of Padme Amidala despite practicing. And I walked into this room and all of the top voice actors in LA were in this room. And I'm actually a really positive person. Uh Um, but I walked out of the room, I went to my car, I called my agent and I said, you know what? I'm going to leave. I Uh have no shot at this role. I just literally have no shot. I can't do the voice of Padme. It's been a long day. I'm just going to leave. And my agent told me, he said, please don't go. Please Uh don't go. He said, you never know what can happen. And he said, I encourage you just stick it out. And I'm so glad I took his advice, because had I left, uh, my life would have been completely different.
1: Can you imagine? That's crazy. I mean, you were in your car when you called him, like you you were ready to turn the key and go.
4: I was. I was. I walked out. I was in my car, and I was ready to leave.
1: If you had a dead cell phone, you you never would have (laughs) even made it.
4: It's true. It's
3: true.
1: You know, I would think, though, even uh, under all those conditions that... uh, uh, I've spent some time with Dave and uh, his persona and his, uh, his, his mean is so gentle and, and positive that he probably was, even in that state, uh, reassuring for you just to be talking to somebody
4: <laughs> like that. It, so it was, it was, you know, my first audition, I don't, I don't remember so much because mm. again, I hadn't even prepped for it because right. I had prepped for Padme
2: Right. And very different, very different, very, every different. Every way, yeah.
4: And so I I walked in and I, I did my first line as Padme Amidala and and sure enough I was right. I mean I think Dave literally stopped me after <laughs> the first line, and they said, "Uh, we're sorry, you know, you you sound a bit too young for Padme," but that's when they said, "But yeah. we have this new character that we'd like you to read for." And um, so they, they bring me in the lines, which I hadn't even seen. So it was definitely the epitome of a cold read. And um, on top of that, they said okay this character has an Icelandic accent (laughs)
2: like
4: Bjork yes yes. (laughs) well except they didn't say Bjork which I didn't even know Bjork like I didn't I I didn't have a frame of reference at the time of what her voice sounded like and so um so I had to say something in Icelandic on the spot which I don't have an Icelandic accent. Like, uh, that's one thing as a voice actress. I can do many different voices, but I'm not very good at kind of European accents. It's not my strength. Sure. And so, honestly, my audition was pretty terrible. <laughs> it was really terrible. So, when I got the call back, I was astounded. I'm like, how the heck did I get this call back? And they said, okay, we, we really liked her, but we really need her to practice her Icelandic accent. So I asked my agent, I said, get me the top dialect coach in LA. Like I want to go to the best and I, I just want to study. So I did. I, I went to one of the top dialect coaches in LA and I, I, I literally was in his apartment studying for at least three hours. And then I went home and I studied it for several more days and hours upon end. But what they didn't tell me and what I should have known is um, they didn't tell me to listen to Bjork. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) I just went in and learned Icelandic. Well, the dialect coach taught me pure Icelandic. Well, pure Icelandic sounds more Irish. So I go in, I'm I'm so proud of myself now because I can do Icelandic. And I, I say the first line, well, Dave Filoni stops me. After the first line, and he goes, no, he's like, we want something that sounds a bit more Icelandic. Um, You know, can you do that? And I was dumbfounded at this point, because I had literally practiced hours, days on end to do this accent. And I actually did something I would never do. I raised my hand, and I was like, I'm sorry, but I am doing Icelandic. I don't know what you want. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And turns out, I guess it was that moment that got me the part because yeah, yeah when I got the part, they said, no, we, we really liked just you being you. So we decided to let you use your own voice and we encourage you to bring your own voice and your own personality to the character. Um, so I'm glad that mishap happened, I guess. But uh, Dave has uh, since said that he wanted, he liked the sound of the orc.
2: But. <laughs> well, that's
1: funny yeah <laughs> like that's the only Icelandic person I could even think of that's funny he that's, uh, that's, should have just say that we want you to be Bjork that would have been I know simpler.
4: I know next <laughs> time you talk to him just be like Dave why didn't you say you want him to sound like Bjork
1: <laughs> yeah or oh, you, you might have thought he meant Judge Bork and then you would have just gone off and, and done the whole wrong thing with uh following that um that's crazy and also Iceland's not in in space, anyway. So, like, uh, like, I mean, like what does what does that mean? Like, uh, so he wanted Bjork. That makes that's funny. She does seem like an alien in 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 some of her things. Uh, well, otherworldly, other I should say.
4: Yeah, and I, I that's that's often the direction that Dave will give. You know, he doesn't necessarily want anything specific. Um, you know, because everyone has a different accent, if you think about it, depending on where they're from, or they're a merge of two parents, you know, or of multiple places that they've lived. And so everyone's accent is different. So he's actually not really a stickler with pronunciation, because in real life, people say words completely differently. Um, So he liked Bjork, from what he told me that the fact that, you know, it's more of a generic, european yeah. uh, you know exotic. sound yeah. exotic sound exactly um i just couldn't do it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so.
1: this is a random thing have you ever seen it's totally right the the bjork video where she's in the airport it's like a, a a cell phone video that someone took of her have you ever seen what I'm i
4: have i have not
1: it's you should watch it just because now that you have a vested interest okay. in, in in things that are bjorkian um <laughs> <laughs> she's uh a Apparently she's walking to an airport and she looks very tired and she's pushing all this luggage on a cart and a woman is there with a, a microphone and there's a TV camera and says, York, welcome to uh, Singapore. I think she says Singapore. Welcome to Singapore. And, and she has an accent. It's obviously in Singapore. Um, and York just starts hitting her, just turns around, just starts, like, just goes off on her. Like, is the most random looking, strange
2: oh, thing. No. <laughs> yeah.
1: And um, I was like, what, what? what could that possibly, what could that woman have possibly done to deserve that? Like, uh, yeah. oh. so I just realized that's a really sad story. So we'll just move on,
2: sorry. <laughs> that's <laughs> um, okay.
1: It's just random. You might appreciate it just because it, it's uh, Yeah. It, she goes from being exotic to being a little uh, neurotic on that one or uh, dangerous. She seems hazardous, so.
4: Yeah, you know, it, it's, my grandfather taught me a lesson and, and, and really I, I learned it through my mom. Um, you know I, I was taught just never to judge a person until you've walked in their shoes sure. and that's my first thought hearing that story she must while that. yeah that by no means does that make it okay because no. you don't just like start hitting the person Um, but it's I always try to keep that in mind when you know I, I have a difficult experience with someone I, I instead of reacting immediately emotionally of like, oh, how, how dare they you know, treat me that way. Yeah. I, I try to stop and, and reflect and just uh, to think, man, that makes me sad. I wonder what that person is going yeah.
1: through. Yeah, no, you know what, you're exactly right. And, and, and it's, it's the hardest thing to do is to remove yourself from the moment and try to view something yeah. from someone else's point of view or, or from a, a dispassionate point of view because it's so easy to be reactive. Right? Yeah. That's that's the, what the, the most of the problems in the world come from reactive behavior. I think you know when, when we try to elevate, then we have a chance to to make things better. But it sure is hard in the moment, though, isn't it?
4: Oh you know? yes.
1: Yeah. Um, so, but uh, you know, uh, did you ever get a chance? Uh, you mentioned uh, talking to Dave later. Um, about the other people in the room, or or uh, once you got to know uh, the folks that you were working with, and say and kind of explain what that whole situation was like from your point of view, what they saw or heard that made them, you know, uh, connect with you on that role, or you know, might not be specific, but just in general. Yeah,
4: you know, it's it's uh, it's funny you ask that because uh, no, I, I didn't ever ask what the other people in the room thought during yeah. the audition. However, what I did ask was throughout the first six months of recording, um, I, I was really nervous uh, because as I mentioned, I had been auditioning, You know, my whole background is in live action. I moved to LA and I, I, I was able, I was very fortunate. I was 19, but I looked 13. And I was able to start working right away as a film and television actress because I was able to play a kid, um, but I was legally an adult. Um, but growing up in Orlando, Florida, I'm a massive Disney fan, massive, massive Disney fan, and um, I was fascinated growing up by the Disney princesses, and so I always wanted to be the voice of a character. Oh, yeah. So it was one of my dreams. And um, when I started, when I moved to LA and started going on auditions, I asked my agent. I said, "Would you please give me a chance with voiceover?" And fortunately, they took a chance on me. But Uh, What happens a lot, more so than on camera, what happens a lot in voiceover is um, you get the role and then you're recast. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's so just devastating. Um, And so-
1: Why do you think that is?
4: um, Well, uh, it's for various reasons. You know, oftentimes um, in one case, they had a complete changeover of, Mm -hmm. of the crew you know, the production. And so everyone changed from the writers to the producers, to the uh-huh. directors. And as with anything, when new people come in, it's kind of out with the old and with the new. Sure. And yeah. the new people that came in just wanted their own cast. And it was it was devastating because I was the lead role. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, uh, another character, um, I'm trying to remember the exact reason, but I believe they you know, they, they changed the character after I was cast. So I was cast when the character was one way and then, you know, they decided to, to write the character differently. Awesome. Um, and so I, you know, was recast then. So for, it happens for various reasons. And, um, so I was terrified, yeah. uh, you know, cause here I was, I felt like I won the lottery. I, I am now the voice of not only an a new character in Star Wars, but Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. Like I realized how big of a deal that was. So I just, I didn't wanna lose it. And um, come to find out, you know, looking back, we were all kind of in the same boat. Everyone was terrified to be writing this brand new character and and creating this brand new character in Star Wars. And I feel very fortunate um, that I was part of the team that yeah. it took to bring Ahsoka to life. I'm, I'm always very outspoken about that. Like I've, it's never just been me with Ahsoka. Yeah. I am one part of a very large team that it takes to bring Ahsoka to life. And I'm just grateful that, you know, they've always given me a seat on the bench, you know, yeah. per se. So um, those first six months were really challenging for all of us. Because I would say it took about six months to find Ahsoka's voice, to find her. Even though Ahsoka's voice is my voice, we didn't know how serious is she? How lighthearted is she? How much humor does she have? How bratty is she? Like, was really a fine balance. And, um, you know, it just, it took a while to find her. And so I think everyone, what I'm grateful for is they allowed me to, really have a seat, a seat on the bench. And, and they allowed me to bring a lot to the character. And, and fortunately they allowed me to just really bring myself. They, they wanted me to bring my own voice. They wanted me to bring my own personality, my own heart, my own soul, my own humor. So that's why still to this day, I say that Ahsoka is literally a part of my heart and soul
2: because,
4: because she is like, you know, I, I literally poured my, myself into her. Um, and, and in many ways, Ahsoka's personality is, is my personality.
1: Yeah, that's great. Did, did you ever, uh, um, was there points along the way I'm sure where because of the, the way you're describing the character uh, and because of it, uh, she was uh, new, um, as, as the show went along, Did you have points where you felt like you had to kind of steer or or pull uh, the characterization back towards something? Like, did you have to defend uh, parts of her personality or persona? Um,
4: Yes, I definitely did. Um, So we were always a season ahead of what the fans were seeing. So we actually recorded the entire first season and what became known as the Clone Wars movie um, before anyone ever saw it so we were um, let's see by the time season one came out I mean we were well into season two if not almost done with season two so um, I knew how far Ahsoka had come just within a season and when she first came out, she had a lot of haters. I mean, there was a moment there where I was like, Oh gosh. And, you know, I had such high hopes for this character, but then it came out and I was like, Oh gosh, is she the new jar jar? Um, (laughs) and, and so there was, there was definitely a lot of shock in the beginning. Um, but I begged fans for their patience because I knew how far she had come in just the first season. And I knew the direction that Dave Filoni and, the entire you know crew that the direction that they were taking her and yeah. so i just begged them for their patience and i said look no character is perfect in the beginning and quite frankly if if she was perfect she wouldn't be a very interesting character sure so i said please go on this journey with her because i promise you i know where she's going and she's not going to disappoint you sure and thankfully fans did they yeah. you know they they stuck with her and it did get a little better after the first season and then after the second season and then I feel like she had really won people over by the end of the third season of Clone Wars and then after the fifth season when the show was actually canceled the you know at the first time um well not the first time but uh when when the show ended the first time um uh it was like Something happened in that moment where she kind of became this iconic character with Star Wars yeah. fans, and she really resonated with them. And um, I'm just grateful that, that people decided to go on the journey with her.
1: Sure. Yeah, and you think about Luke Skywalker in the first movie. Uh, if I'd been broken up into a TV series, you know, the first episode you meet Luke, you know, he's, he's really annoying. Like people yeah. want to really like him, you know, like,
2: yeah.
0: I want to go, yeah,
1: you know, like, Oh wow. I can't take this. So, I mean, it's part of the the arc of the character for sure. But actually, when I said defend, I meant more, um, in the writing process, did you would talking to the writers, did you have to defend like your view of her or, oh. or try to tilt their, their, uh, is there anything they brought to you and, you and you're like, Oh, this just doesn't feel right to me. Or were they so intertwined in the creation that, um, You guys were always on the same page.
4: Um, uh, No, I never had a moment where I I I didn't agree or align with where it was going. Um, Dave and I were always kind of lockstep, and and I I became Dave Filoni's Padawan, Um, Uh you know, and he was like my real life Sky guy uh, or real life Anakin Skywalker, so. I thought I was a Star Wars fan prior to becoming the voice of Ahsoka. Um, I really wasn't. I mean, you, you don't realize what, what being a Star Wars fan means until you meet Dave Filoni. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, once I started working for him, I, I feel like he really taught me so much about Star Wars and I'm forever grateful. And so, so no, I, I, I was always just in awe of Ahsoka's storyline, um, I think I think what happened was in the beginning. In, in order to find Ahsoka's voice, you know, I was able to bring so much of myself to Ahsoka. But over time, Ahsoka has changed my life. Like this fictional character has literally changed my life to the point where I ask myself on a regular basis, "What would Ahsoka do?" Yeah. Because I so badly want to be a real life version of Ahsoka Tano. Because this this character is, even though she's in a galaxy far, far away, she everything she goes through is so relatable, sure. and um, it I I can relate to it, and and that's what makes her so powerful. Because fans all over the world can relate to her as well, um, and their everyday um, their everyday scenarios. So. Um, so no, I, I, over time, Ahsoka influenced me.
2: That's
1: interesting because you know, usually you would think uh, how much of an actor is in this character, but uh, you don't necessarily think how much of a character is in this actor. You know, like it doesn't yes. usually go the other way that, uh, you know, for observers watching on. So that's really intriguing. Um,
4: and to, to that point, just to expand on that, yeah, the reason for me that happened, aside from the fact that Ahsoka is is just, I mean, she's an alien. So when I say person, it's like, well, she's an alien. Yeah. But um, she is a, just such an incredibly inspiring character, powerful character, good character. Um, so who, w- who wouldn't want to be like a sure. Um But when I saw how much this character was affecting people, yeah. When when I started realizing that this character was not only changing lives, but directly and literally saving lives, wow. being a part of something like that changes you, yeah. and it changed me. And I realized, as I said in the beginning, it's being the voice of Ahsoka is an honor that I am constantly trying to live up to every day. Yeah. I mean it, I, I feel like I, I don't know what I did right in this universe to be given this opportunity to be the voice of Ahsoka, but I'm constantly gonna try to live up to it because of how much she means to people. And um, this role is, is bigger than me. Yeah. It's bigger than a line on my resume. It's now a, a, a mission in my life to, to be a living embodiment of her.
1: Yeah, you know, that's really interesting. And, and um, if you think about it, like the way that story uh, exists in our lives and, and in our history is as, a, as a, a species. I mean, story is how we communicate uh, uh, ethics. It's how we communicate, you know, from fables and, and uh, mythology all the way up, uh, certainly through scriptures and things like that. But I mean, story is how we're built to learn things, you know, um, and uh, so that's, I can see that, like, uh, kind of connecting to this—it's uh, like a Greek ideal, or or someone that really represents something that's pure integrity. Um, that kind of gets to the, the heart of why the George Lucas universe matters so much to people, is because these characters do—they become receptacles for that. You know, they're vessels yeah. for these things that are bigger than all of us. You know, um, the the Star Wars fans—they—they they, uh, unlike a lot of entertainment. Um, a lot of people walk into a movie theater and they want to see something that's new and different and unexpected. Uh, Star Wars fans walk into a movie theater and they want to see something that's familiar and uh, lives up to the past and, and hits the familiar beats. It's almost like a, going to a Rolling Stones concert. And they want to hear the greatest hits, you know, kind of played out, but in a slightly different new way. Um, that's a tough thing. And you mentioned Jar Jar and, and, and also early on the way that you felt the fans maybe didn't connect uh, as you hoped, maybe right away. Uh, that's got to be a lot of pressure. Uh, did you do you ever uh, talk to other cast members or other people in the Star Wars family about that? And like, I mean, it, it must be a, a really kind of a crazy thing. I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't think they would get bitter about it, but I think that it would be it's a it's a different uh, burden.
4: I've actually uh, talked about this. a a couple times with Dave Filoni, because as I mentioned earlier, I thought that I was a big fan and and I have been my whole life, but I didn't understand what it meant to be a a true Star Wars fan until I met Dave. And in many ways, it ended up being a blessing how naive I was Hmm. because I had two years to have this character to myself. Oh, wow. and live in this world where nobody knew she existed yet and, and live in these stories and say these lines and dream these dreams about this character before anyone knew her. And, um, and I was already in love with her before anyone knew her. And so I was just convinced that everyone was going to love her like, yeah. like I did. And um, Dave had tried to warn me But I was, again, I was kind of like ignorance is bliss. I was just like, no, who wouldn't love Ahsoka Tano, you know? (laughs) And so it it did catch me by surprise. Um, I'm not going to lie, it caught me by surprise in the beginning when uh, the movie was met with a lot of hate in the beginning and uh, Ahsoka as a character. And I did have a day, there was, a single day. I remember it well. I was in Boston. Um, My husband used to play uh, baseball. He used to play major league baseball. And um, he was, what team was he on? So this was 2008. So he was on the Toronto Blue Jays and they were playing the Boston Red Sox. And so we were in Boston and all the reviews were coming out And I started reading them, and I couldn't go to the game that day. I was so devastated so I literally locked myself in the hotel room that we were staying in the only time I left was to walk downstairs to the cheesecake factory to get dinner and a giant piece of cheesecake to literally (laughs) like wallow in my tears of oh "Oh my gosh people hate you know Clone Wars people hate Ahsoka and I allowed myself that day to just be sad about it um and then to be honest, my, my husband is known as, you know, uh, in baseball as one of the, uh, you know, just a, a great underdog um, who overcame the odds. And so after a really great pep talk from my husband, oh, um, nice. I, I thought, no, I, I know how far this character goes and she is going in the right direction. She is an amazing character. And so I started kind of fighting back and 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 when I say fighting back I don't even mean fighting. I I I, I just showed up for the conversation because right. I think I think unfortunately where a lot of talk about toxic fandom you know comes in in my opinion a lot of it can be avoided by simply having a conversation. Yeah. Um, a lot of people in fandom feel like their voice is just not heard. Their opinion is not heard. And after not being heard for so long, it just becomes explosive. Yeah. And what I did, I took the approach of just listening because I realized, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm new here. Yeah. And I, I always take the approach when I'm new to a situation or when I'm new to the room, I, I usually just walk in and keep my mouth shut and I listen and um before I speak. And so that's what I did with Star Wars fans is I just listened. And I said, Well, you know what? I I, I hear what you're saying. And and in, in many cases I said, you're right. She actually yeah. is coming on a little strong. And oh, you're right. I hate the nickname R2E as well. You know, <laughs> I I agreed with them in many cases. And, but then I said, but I know more than you do right now because we're a season ahead. And right. so please trust me, please yeah. go on this journey with me. And I just had a conversation and thankfully people listened. Usually once you listened, then, then they would back off and say, yeah. okay, we'll, we'll give it a shot. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so I've always
4: taken that approach with fandom. I've, I've always, I don't mind being on the front lines and trust me, I I've been cyberbullied uh, very badly. Yeah. Um, yeah. so it hasn't always been positive. So I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not sitting here saying this being naive because I right. know both sides and I've, I've unfortunately had a seat on both sides where I've, I've just horrible, horrible things have been said to me. Um, but, I've also seen how beautiful it can be when people of opposing views of fandom have a conversation and beautiful friendships have merged from people that have two completely different viewpoints. And so I always try to take that approach.
1: Yeah, well, that's very, very grounded of you. And, and, and when you say um, fight back, I know what you mean is you're fighting back against the anxiety of it. Not, not even, you're not fighting back against the people, you're fighting back against the smothering power of not getting being misunderstood or being maligned. I mean, that's, it's hard to do in the public, in the public eye. Um, you know, I was a reporter at the LA Times for like 21 years and um, I, I would, people would call, you know, sometimes you write a story, uh, especially if it's a comfort, con- controversial story or something, people call and they just want to vent. And I learned a lesson like you, uh, I, at first I would argue or I would fight back like a, uh, and really though, they just want to be heard. You know, they yeah. just, if and, and sometimes if you go, okay, well, you know what? I really appreciate you sharing your point of view and, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And, and then they're suddenly so warm and excited because you're then a person to them, you know? Yeah. And, and 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 a lot, most, some people will just are angry or, or they have other issues, but a lot of people, they just want to be heard. And I think with, with Star Wars in a way, especially the fans that have been around it for a long time, I mean, I, I remember seeing the movie, the first movie when I was, you know, I was seven. Um, but there was so, such a gap between the movies, you know, 77 to 80, and then you don't have another one until Jedi, and then you don't have another one for many years. But um, they, I think it's because people play with the toys so much. Uh, they have an ownership over these characters that's different than the way um, people even feel about books and, and TV shows. I think that because they lived in these characters and they had their own adventures and they just have this like this desire to see certain things met. but it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an unusual thing you know I mean it, it's not completely unique. I mean I, you could say Star Trek and Batman and other stuff have similar kind of dynamics, but it, Star Wars is so big um, it's, it can be intimidating to people that don't understand it.
3: Yeah, Jeff, so, do you mind if I ask a question? Please. of
2: course.
1: Sometimes,
3: yeah. sometimes, like a true Jedi master, Jeff lets his Padawans step <laughs> in <laughs> take on initiative uh, for, for our edification. Yeah, Jeff, as you were talking about the different ways that people experience Star Wars and engage with it, it reminded me of Ashley, what you've brought up a couple times about learning what a true fan is from Dave Filoni. And I was just wondering what your experience with that was, what, what true fandom you learned. Was it, how, how was Filoni a true fan <laughs> or what makes a true fan to you? Was it his breadth of information about the world building? Was it his ethos? Was it his knowledge of production history? What, what constituted true fandom in that experience?
4: Well that's a great question and I would say what Dave taught me was really Star Wars what he taught me the story he taught me the mythos he taught me what's really going on the undertones you know what Star Wars is really about Um, He taught me the the wisdom of Star Wars, the the lessons, the morals, the motivations of the characters. Again, I thought I was a fan prior. I thought I understood Star Wars, but I really didn't. Um, Because what what a lot of people don't know, um, and unfortunately what we barely ever recorded, was prior to every single episode record, Dave would give about a 30 minute talk on the background of each episode. He would go into the why of the episode. What's, what's this story about? Why are we telling it? He would go into the motivation of each character. So we understood our motivation for our performance and you know, what our storyline was about. And he would talk about the themes. Um, so I, I feel like I, I, I went to Star Wars school, really, and and he was my professor. So having that understanding of the Star Wars story, I would say that's what Dave taught me. And then, you know, being on the front lines of fandom as the voice of Ahsoka, you know, because I was very active in the fan community. I would go to Comic-Con. I would go to Uh, an event that was held at Disney called Star Wars weekends where I would spend over a month directly with the fans at Disney world. Um, I was very, very immersed and engaged with the fans. Uh, And then I started my company, her universe where, you know, it's a merchandise line for female fans. And the only way to grow my company was to go grassroots and grow it with the fans. And I think what I realized and and where the two go hand in hand, what Dave taught me and then what I learned naturally from the fans is you have to understand why someone is a Star Wars fan. (laughs) Being a Star Wars fan is not just a trend. It's not something you're into one day and out of the next. Being a Star Wars fan is, is literally in your DNA it's 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 a lifestyle it's a belief system it's it's a way of thinking these stories they 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 literally become a part of you like they you know when I say Ahsoka is a part of my heart and soul she's literally a part of my heart and soul now like Ahsoka Tano guides my decisions so you kind of need to understand how a Star Wars fan thinks and um once and in order to understand how they think you need to understand the stories mm-hmm. and so and, it, and it's different to everyone it's not like there's only one way to see star wars um for me personally star wars and now especially ahsoka is a story of hope mm-hmm. it's a story for me of good overcoming evil it's a story that no matter how dark the times are, it's the promise that there's always light in the darkness. And, you know, it's just that belief system. Um, And so when you understand the story and then you understand that it's more than just a trend, that it's a way of life, then you can kind of understand where fans are coming from and Uh, you know people have asked me because when i started my company her universe people told me it could never be done they Mm -hmm. literally said that you cannot make money selling star wars merchandise to women and girls they Mm -hmm. they they flat out told me that and uh, lucasfilm when they gave me the opportunity to start my company um they were very supportive but they said you know, Ashley, we've, we've tried to sell merchandise to female fans before, and we've never been hugely successful. What's going to make you different? And I said, I'm, I'm going to go directly to the fans. Um, You know, I'm going to literally be on the front lines. I'm going to go directly to them and I'm going to listen and I'm going to let them talk and um, and ask them what they want and give them a voice. And, um, and that's what I did. And so, you know, we were able to prove in a few short years um, that, you know, we were able to grow her universe to be a multimillion dollar company. And and people say, what's your secret? And honestly, it's simple. It's the fans. We just listen to the fans.
1: That's great. You know, I think, uh, some of the multi-millions, at least half of it is from my daughter. So I just wanted to let oh, you know that Oh my
2: gosh, <laughs> oh, yeah. thank you.
1: So much. I, every every Halloween she was either a princess, a Disney princess or a or Princess Leia. And then when Disney got Star Wars, I think her head just exploded. I think she felt like everything <laughs> in her life had come together. Um, I'm a Floridian by birth, uh, uh, oh. which you know, most people, I, yeah, I was born in Miami. Most people go there to die. I was I started there. <laughs> um but uh is you know orlando's an interesting place were you in orlando proper or were you near orlando
4: uh orlando proper i okay. um i i wasn't born there but moved to central florida when i was six months old oh, and wow. uh yeah that so i might as i might as well be um and my dad was a disney cast member so uh-huh. i literally grew up disney Um, you know, we didn't have much money growing up and I, I had, uh, there was four of us siblings and so a family of six and yeah, very expensive. And, um, but because my dad was a Disney cast member, we could go to Disney world every single day for free if we wanted to. And my mom was an elementary school teacher. So she used Disney as a classroom for us. Oh, that great? Um, and she, she taught us, she taught us lessons. And so many of my firsts were at Disney. Um, so I, I, I was brought up not only on Star Wars, but on, I guess you could say the belief system of, of Walt Disney himself.
2: Sure, sure. And
4: um, it's, it's literally, I, I joke that I have a Disney and a Star Wars chromosome <laughs> in yeah. my DNA.
1: Yeah, I wonder if they're getting, they don't haven't opened a Disney retirement center or home yet, have they? Like, I mean, because um, I figured that that's where we're headed. We're going to get a retirement community that's Disney at some point.
4: I you know? I would move there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm ready for assisted living right now. Like, you know, like <laughs> I'm just, bring me my meals, turn on the TV. I'm fine. Just just keep it coming. Um, it, it's interesting too. You know, female characters in Star Wars. You know, if you go back to the the first film you know, really, I mean, it was Carrie Fisher and Princess Leia and, and, you know, you didn't get a ton of female characters in those first, the first trilogy. Now we're getting many more. Um, and also, you know, uh, Comic-Con uh, going down there often, um, I think it was about six years ago, it hit a 50-50 ticket split that, uh, you know, it's half and half and, and a lot of that's due to, not just uh, Star Wars and, uh, but you know, Harry Potter books and uh, you know, Hunger Games and, and so many different things that uh, and um, uh, manga and Bliss goes on and on. Uh, but still, that perception persists. Do you find that uh, in mainstream media? Uh, there's still a perception that this is a boys' thing. Uh, is it starting to loosen up? Do you think, or do people still see it that way? It, it's
4: it's definitely changed. Uh, to your point, I wouldn't say the perception is 100% 50-50. Um, I think in general society, people that are not a part of the fandom, it, it catches them by surprise. Um, but if you're in the fandom, the perception's completely changed. I feel like everyone looks at it as, as 50-50. But to your point, it was not that way. Um, and, and really a short time ago. Um, you know, it's it's easy to forget that when Ahsoka came on the scene, you know, she was the first female Jedi that was a lead character in the Star Wars universe. So it was the first time on a regular basis that a lightsaber was put in a girl's hands. And that was a game changer. Um, Ahsoka was really, I, I mean, Ahsoka, Helped pave the way for characters like Ray, for yeah. characters like Jin, and um, you know so many of the strong female characters today. Uh, but even female fans. So I, I kind of started my company, Her Universe, off of a hunch, really, mm-hmm. because I was immersed in this world. I was a fan myself, and it really started with. A simple search for a t-shirt made for right. me and i was going to all of these press events and i wanted more star wars merchandise made for women because sure. i wanted to wear it you know if i'm going to comic con i want to wear a star wars t-shirt and i ended up uh empty-handed and i was told to be happy with the men's size small because women and girls would not buy star wars merchandise made for them right. and i knew that couldn't be true because yeah. I had, I, my first Comic-Con was 2007 and um, there was plenty of women and girls at Comic-Con even back then. So I started doing my research um, and I found two statistics. I literally started my company off of two statistics and I was able to get the actual attendance um, from uh, it was 2008 and 2009 I was able to get the actual attendance of the top five conventions in the world um, at that point I know comic-Con was one and Star Wars celebration was one there was sure. there was a couple I think New York comic con was one um, on yeah so I was able to get the the attendance of those conventions and for on average 45 percent of all attendees were women and girls and that was back, you know, yeah. in, in 2008, 2009. And then I continued to do my research and found out that 85% of all consumer purchases were being made by women. Oh, yeah. And I thought, I'm not a mathematician, but these, <laughs> these numbers aren't adding up. Like if you make us, merchandise we will buy it we want to give you our money (laughs) um (laughs) and so uh, but unfortunately there was no more research because all of the research and I'm not saying it was being done on purpose but the research was skewed it was skewed towards the men and the boys because it was deemed a men and boys property self-fulfilling
2: prophecy yeah it was a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah
4: Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, I had to go off of, uh, two statistics and a hunch. Yeah.
1: Well, that's great. Well, it's a good thing you did. What? Uh, tell us one thing that, uh, we would find on her universe right now that you're, you think is particularly exciting or maybe one of your, uh, one of the products in the past that, uh, really resonates with you?
4: You know, or I, I yeah, I, I have a soft spot for anything Ahsoka Tano, because yeah. for the longest time, even Ahsoka, um, they they said that she couldn't sell merchandise. Yeah. They said that in general about female characters that female characters, you know, people would not want to buy merchandise that was inspired by a female character or had a female character on it. Yeah. And um, I'll be honest, there was some truth to that. Because even though male fans and female fans were, were very alike and we liked the, the stories, oftentimes for the same reasons, um, as, as, as women, we don't always want a, 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 like a t-shirt with a, a, an image of another female Mm. character on it we want to be that character or we want something that's inspired by that character we we want to feel the the inspiration from that character and so um and and also I mean let's face it up to this point or when I started my company we were really only getting pink t-shirts that said I heart star wars (laughs) and My thing was like, no, I'm a big Darth Vader fan. I want a black T-shirt with Darth Vader on it, you know, that's cut for a woman. I I don't want a pink T-shirt that says I heart Star Wars. So so I would say for the longest time, you know, Ahsoka was clumped in this kind of... uh, ideology that, you know, female characters couldn't sell merchandise. And yeah. I have to say the Ahsoka merchandise on our website is literally the top selling merchandise. And not only are women buying it, but men are buying it too. Cause we, sure. we've, since we now have a sub brand called our universe, um, which is, you know, unisex and it's for everyone. So, um, I am I'm, I'm kind of proud. Wait, I'm
1: proud. Male fans? There's male fans now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: great. Well,
4: it's, it's funny <laughs> It's funny because for about a year after I started her universe, I started getting the question, "When are you going to start his universe?" Yeah, and I had, yeah. I know. I know. And I kind of chuckled and I'd be like, "Uh, look at the rest of the convention floor. Yeah. It, right. it it is his universe." And right. so I said, "You know, I'm never going to start making men's merchandise or unisex merchandise until I feel like I can provide something that's not already being done. And if I ever feel like I'm providing something that the guys aren't getting, then I will start doing the merchandise because my mission from day one was not to say that star Wars or just this sci-fi fantasy, you know, um, genre is just for women and girls. It's it's not. It's not just for men and boys. It's not just for women and girls. These stories are for everyone. For sure. So I, it wouldn't be authentic of me to say, oh no, we're only doing this for women and girls. The mission is to break the stigma and say that these stories are for everyone. So when we started doing more fashion and men weren't getting fashion you know for these properties (laughs) they wanted it so we started our universe um you know to provide for everyone
2: because it is
4: it's it's our universe
1: yeah it's universal it's right in the name yeah (laughs) that's fantastic well, uh, actually, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming on today, and, and uh, I'm excited. I didn't know about our universe, so I'm going to go check that out, and maybe my daughter can buy me some stuff now.
4: Oh, yes, I mean, yes
1: yeah, it's she's about got, time. She's, exactly, she's got a job now and everything. So,
2: uh,
1: <laughs> but it's, uh, it was a treat to talk to you, and uh, we wish you just okay. so much uh, success moving forward. And uh, you've added, you brought an awful lot to the Star Wars universe.
4: Oh well, Jeff, thank you so much for having me on and for this wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed it.
1: All right, cheers. We'll talk
3: to you soon. Take yes, care. You right, too.
4: Bye-bye.
3: Bye. Thanks for joining us on Mindspace. That was Star Wars voice actor Ashley Eckstein, who voices Ahsoka Tano, uh, giving her take on Star Wars fandom and her long-term involvement with a, a community that's shaped so much of her life and has a reciprocal relationship between her and the fans so now for this part of the podcast the Mindspace crew Jeff Garrett and I uh, talk informally about pop culture and the subjects that were covered in the interview so thanks for joining us
1: she was nice what a nice person (laughs) very nice (laughs) she seems like a very genuine and thoughtful um, person and I like people that are successful in multiple things. I think it's really great that she's found that entrepreneurial outlet, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And her universe is is really such a uh, entrenched force, you know. Now at this point, uh, or entrenched player, I should say, in that in that marketplace. So that's uh, good for her. um, It's she really is, you know, represents a, a a chapter of the Star Wars presentation of female characters you know I mean Mm she was it was a key character in a lot of ways uh and I just love Hollywood stories of unexpected stuff like that like you know the fact that she sitting in the car and was going to leave and her agent coaxed her to go back in which is exactly what agents are supposed to be doing I suppose and uh I love stories like that you know uh the serendipity of it or the uh, you know the uh the plot twist of casting and things like that
3: has that has that happened a lot across the creatives that you've interviewed? That somebody thinks that they're totally down and out when in reality they're just a hair's breath away from their big break.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's there's all kinds of stories of people uh, that either think that uh, it's not going to work out. they you know they have the uh, uh, they kind of got uh, they're preparing themselves to not get what they want or to not get anything. Uh, and then there's also also the kind of the lightning flash just. Pure serendipity, you know, discovery moments. Uh, you know, I think about talking to Jason Statham, and he, you know, when Guy Ritchie found him, he was he was doing like card scams and you know uh, in the street. I mean, he was like ripping off tourists, just doing like uh, you know, basically a shell game kind of thing. Um, and but the way that he his banter and the way that he interacted with the tourists and his look and you know his Kind of uh, just his mean about him. Um, Guy Ritchie thought he could be a good actor, and and you know you look at now the guy's made like what 30, forty movies. I mean you know, it's like unbelievable. He's uh, you know plucked off the street. Um, I read well, I heard once uh, 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 George Clooney told a story on the Merv Griffin show uh, way back when about getting discovered. Now of course you know George had family and show business with his, his aunt Rosemary and such. But he said that he got, his TV career was launched because he was playing volleyball on the beach and the ball bounced in front of this guy and he ran over to pick it up. And the guy says, hey, you, you ever thought about being on TV? You know, like, and, and, and George Clooney with his sort of beaming white smile and, and um, oddly unsettling mullet at the time, um, you know, said, yeah, sure and ended up being on, you know, Facts of Life and, and starting his career. So, uh, you know, things like that, it's just, you hear him and you're like, wow, you know, uh, that's pretty crazy. Or like Tom Petty, you know, he got his rec- first record deal after an LA Times review by Robert Hilburn um, and that, he, that Petty didn't even know was coming. He was getting ready to move back to Florida. He couldn't pay his rent and suddenly the phone's ringing. People are offering him, you know, multi-million dollar contracts uh, out of the blue so were you at the
3: LA Times during that
1: no no that was uh because Penny started in 76 75 so uh it was before my time but uh I just always liked that story just because Mm of the the idea of this Florida kid down and out and kind of getting ready to go back to Gainesville uh you know um and then you know it's like a lottery ticket blows through the window you know it's like crazy Mm -hmm. it's fantastic
3: do you relate to that as a Florida kid? You talked a lot with Ashley about your providence in Florida.
1: Yeah, you know, Florida's, uh, I have, you know, very strong feelings about Florida <clears throat> uh, that run in both directions. And, you know, I love the nature. I love being in the water there. You know, I really associate it with some of my happiest moments in my life. Um, but I have a real problem with that state. Like, uh, and also every every member of my family uh, has been a member uh, has been the victim of a violent crime um, in Florida um, and serious crimes you know and it's hard to you know not think about that and, and when I'm in Florida I, I can't, I'm a pretty mellow guy but I get really angry because it's the only place I don't know if you knew this it's the only place where you're allowed to bring the traffic laws from your native country with you well actually that's not true but <laughs> For it's, our uh,
3: audience who's just listening on audio, both Garrett and I both went in on our Zoom screens <laughs> incredulously. <really>? Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's not true. I'm making that up, of course, but it sure feels like what? that when you're driving. Around. <laughs> when
0: you're driving around, it sure feels like it. There is something weird about like there's certain like towns and places I've been to where it's like you have to learn how traffic works here. Where you're like, oh, red light means you know eventually stop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or it's like in
1: Jamaica, you know, or you get in a cab in Italy and like, you know, in Rome. I mean, it's different. You know, the people drive different. And uh, yeah. uh, like in Jamaica, like the horn is an expression of, of self, like that's nonstop. It's like, you know, it's just a way to, you know, connect with the world. It's like, you know, touching the wall to make sure it's still there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but uh, yeah, Florida infuriates me. I think it's, also, you know, humidity, the bugs. Backstreet Boys, I mean, there's a lot. It's it's, it's a long list. Um, But uh, Ashley seems like she uh, did well. She got out of Florida. Um,
0: And I still love Florida. And I have
1: family there. So I have to to say that I love it. So I will.
0: Contractually obligated to say you love
1: Florida. At no time did I mean to disparage the state of Florida.
3: No, Disneyland, I find, is really interesting, just the way it's designed. I was reading, it was a while ago. Dis, disney or, world or which one's in disney world, world? Is in florida
1: yes, yes. you all can right. fit Disneyland in the parking lot of disney yeah. world
3: if if as you can tell i i haven't been in since since childhood but um i was reading just about how it's designed in terms of the architecture and all the little minutiae that go into encouraging people to spend money it was a wired yeah. article and i think right down to the curvature of the streets they somehow got a hold of some study that showed that people tend to spend more when the streets are kind of gradually curved and rather than having sharp corners so that it's why certain portions of disney world Mm -hmm. the streets are curved i think they have in their bakeries they've got strategically placed fans that will waft the scent of the goodies out into the street it's it's incredibly intricate, and they're getting uh, all these
0: ideas from the frozen head of Walt Disney.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and, and given their growing power in just everyday life, uh, I, I'm starting to wonder if if what a Disney dystopia would look like if it would be that kind of micromanaging of our the everyday magic of life.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> which is oh, far
3: yeah. less magical than we're supposed to believe
1: they do an amazing job you know the, the thing about disney that i admire uh is that i don't know any other um, corporate entity in in america that uses their history better uh and and curates it better and, and holds on to it and and lives and breathes it they value their old films just as much as their new releases in, in some ways you look at the way that they release the animated films and they create this artificial scarcity, uh, you know, pulling things in and out of, of availability, the way that they edit them and use them on television and sing-alongs and, uh, I mean, just the, the way that they're always in touch with their past. And now, you know, with the remakes and, and, and stuff that's hardwired even more so. And I, the, the remakes, that's a mixed bag. But just the way that they curate their own legacy stuff, I really, really admire. And things like the, the Disney legends, where they every year they do these big, splashy inductions of people and do tributes to them. And like the one I went to uh, a couple of years ago, they inducted, I mean, Stanley was there. It was his last public appearance that I saw him in. Um, Oprah Winfrey was there, Whoopi Goldberg, Julie Taymore, um, uh, Mark Hamill. Um, I mean, it was an impressive group of people that they were all lined up and they were all thrilled to get that honor. And I think that that says a lot because they know that Disney history doesn't go away, you know? So if Disney makes you a legend, then that means you're going to, you're going to stick around in a way that's uh, going to amplify your own sort of personal history.
0: You mentioned something about like the the Disney vault, I guess, is like where they take movies out and they release them every now and then and they put it back in. It's weird. They I feel like they've really mastered that because yeah. I know like other brands have kind of tried to emulate certain things like i know like nintendo will come out with like a new mario game like it's only available for this amount of time and then they never they they wait for like a a remaster. but it ends up just making the fans mad whereas disney fans they're like i don't know there's just like a little bit more incentive i guess to getting like this edition of the vault release or something sure i think you're right and that's that's the depth of their
1: vault too is that you know like they're going back and they're, they're i mean it's you know i mean uh, Snow White was in, you know, what, 1938, I think, uh, thereabouts. Yep. Uh, I mean, that's, that's quite a while ago. So there's, there's so much stuff that uh, they can uh, bring in and out, as you say. But, uh, you know, here's an f- interesting thing. Since we're talking a, l- a little bit about, um, well, just then you mentioned Nintendo. So which of these events happened first in time, in history? The founding of Nintendo as a company or the last guillotine execution in France. Not that anybody from Nintendo was guillotined. I'm not suggesting that, these are unrelated, but I'm just interested when, how far apart do you think those events were and when were they?
3: Uh, I'm not sure. You've mentioned several, several times that you love to look at concurrences. So I'm guessing exactly at the same time, I know France continued to execute people via guillotine well
0: into the 20th century. Yes, yeah, I'm gonna say Nintendo was first. Yeah. I just saw something about like Christopher Lee witnessing one or something. Okay, now, and now,
1: okay, so uh, Nintendo first and then um, the guillotine. Now, if you had to add a third event, would it be, where would it be in those between them? Um, the premiere of Star Wars, May 1977, which is that gonna be after the guillotine, before the guillotine or before Nintendo? I mean, if you'd asked me
0: regularly, I would have said after. But because of this conversation, I'm going to say it's the middle.
3: Yeah, oh, that's me good... too. I would say the middle.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: it's true. It's true. Um, the funny thing is that the last guillotine in France was the same year as Star Wars, 1977. Wow. Which is, I think, kind of crazy. They were chopping off heads in 1977. They're like <laughs> I just, I don't know why that. I just that seems really unusual to me. I don't know that they should is that do public? that. Public, like yeah yeah you feel better if it was in private you know know, they're secretly chopping heads off wow how do i I feel about that
3: i mean the guillotine was invented during the french revolution to kind of facilitate a more universal and humane way of executing people that needed to be executed because axes are messy yeah leading up to that you know if you were of a certain rank or status you could be you'd have your head chopped off on the block which is quicker than if you are of a lower status, which means that you were hanged, which is more drawn out. It's more humiliating. Mm. uh, It's more uncertain. It's less um, efficient. So the guillotine was kind of devised as a way of methodizing executions and making them all universally, quote, unquote, easy. Yeah. Which I guess, I mean, given that it persisted until the 20th century, and you read now about all these box executions you know, people who are yeah. given the wrong injections or are injected in a faulty way that leaves them yeah. feeling the pain as they're given the fatal dose or whatnot. Mm. That's and interesting. and I mean, being yeah. guillotined seems very humane compared to the electric chair. Um, oh, yeah. I Everything mean, is com- is
0: there's
3: commercial. debate about how long your brain function remains in your head after it's decapitated so cleanly from your right. body um it's debated whether you'd even feel pain because the the endings would be so cleanly cut through but you know even if it's a couple seconds that you have to deal you have a literal out of body experience it seems a lot better than being fried or um you know having to sit there as your body is you know put through the pain of not being able to breathe or function Uh, Sure. Ashley's going to be so,
1: so excited that this is where our episode ended up. Uh, I was going to say, so Disney's great. Uh, (laughs) Um, Uh. Yeah, you think that there would be enough blood in the, in the brain to maintain perception. You would not be able to speak or scream because your vocal cords would be cut, but you probably would be able to look around a little bit just before before the end so maybe even see your own body and say oh wow that does make me look fat.
3: Yeah, there's this anecdote from the French Revolution um the woman who stabbed uh the revolutionary Marat uh uh-huh. in his bathtub if if you've seen the famous painting her name was Charlotte Corday and uh a big fuss was made about her kind of whether or not she had a sex life because the thinking was like, you know, that oh surely a man must have seduced her into assassinating this guy right. whereas she was claimed universe. to her death that she was an independent political actor and i mean she was a french revolutionary herself she was very into it and she thought the revolution had strayed from its pure origins but anyway so there was this huge effort surrounding her execution to kind of uh, it, to throw her virtue into question and what the executioner allegedly did, this is probably made up, but he takes her head, holds it up and slaps it just to humiliate oh. her after, you know, as like, you know, which is kind mm. of like something you, you don't do. You're supposed to be very professional and, yeah. and allegedly her head yeah. turns and looks <laughs> at him and in flushes indignantly because you know it's her virtue she's been wronged it, and it's kind of tied into this whole idea of whether or not she's pure or not and wow. and then afterwards you know tests are done on her body to see you know who, <laughs> if she'd been around so I mean it's it's this whole kind of sorry I'm getting back on the morbidity yeah but, yeah
1: yeah Boy, she turned into a tetherball. I mean, that's really terrible. It's like, uh, really not cool. But
3: yeah, there's all these stories about heads like staring or looking indignant yeah. after they were killed, which yeah. we don't know if they're true or exaggerated. But
1: they, they, Right before they kill someone, they say, okay, now wake if you can see it. It's okay at the end, just so we know. Right? Uh, <laughs> So, that's, how so
3: Dis- that's how disney would do it when they ruin when they rule everything just you'd be on like a <laughs> whoa, whoa. fireworks
2: <laughs> now there's
1: a guillotine disney like wow yeah, they use lightsabers to- to-
3: yeah that's true i would that's how i would want to go
1: yeah i'm, I'm kind of rooting for like uh i don't know maybe uh a-
3: Actually, yeah. a lightsaber yeah. would probably be more horrible because then you can't bleed out, and your head is just you. you It probably would take like longer it. for your you to go brain dead.
2: Well, it
1: would cauterize it, yeah. So you yeah. probably live a little longer. You're right. Oh, so that's by like the you way, did, like, you
0: get like, down and ask, like, are you still here? Blink once.
3: <laughs> follow the bouncing ball.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really not good. It's so bad. Uh, that's where the expression "to hell on a handbasket" comes from. Is from the guillotine. Um, I don't know if you guys ever heard that expression. Oh,
0: yeah, because uh, where, where the heads would land.
1: They would land in the basket, and then they would uh, ostensibly go to hell. Um, so Nintendo, by the way, <laughs> company started 1889. Yeah, wasn't it like uh, playing cards? Oh, playing cards wow. yeah. And It's been in business since 1889. I just think that's so cool. I just think, I don't know why I like that so much. I just think that's yeah. awesome. Like, uh, I don't
2: know.
0: I like a lot of those, like the bit, like the stories of the businesses that have been around since then. Because, like, just imagine the changes that they've seen, and like,
1: and just think maybe they had, maybe secretly they gave a Game Boy to Teddy Roosevelt. We just don't know. Yeah, they had the technology. (laughs) It just was a lame Game Boy. It was just really lame.
3: Like one of those (laughs) memes, Society of Teddy Roosevelt had had Nintendo Game Boy.
1: Yeah, he never would have done any of that Safari stuff. You know, he read a book a day during his life. No. No, he would have just been a full on Call of Duty and Super Mario. And well, they probably
0: gave it to him, but it was like a hunting game. And he was like ah, yeah. Yeah. Bully, bully.
1: <laughs> well, I think we've done enough damage to history today, so let's <laughs> let's, let's let history go back to where it belongs. And we'll, but uh, it was awfully nice having Ashley on the show, and it's always mm-hmm. good to have uh, a bit of the the force with us. It's always good when Star Wars is in the house.
3: All right, well, thank you so much. This has been Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. Uh, I'm Maya. You've heard from Garrett too, and of course, our host, Jeff. Thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you for our next illustrious guest next week.